0: Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Isha'i Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hi there. Okay, Malka, here we go. Uh, The Isha'i Fleischer Show, we are uh, um, broadcasting from Israel in a time of war, all right? Reminds me that in 2005, you and I were broadcasting uh, from the basement of the Gush Katif municipality, uh, 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 at Neve de Kalim in, uh, in Gushkativ Gaza. And we had this big box. And the big box was an ISDN box. It connected to an ISDN line. The ISDN line connected to an ISDN line in Beit El. And in Beit El was the whole connection to the internet uh and the, the the you know the early internet and we had the Arutz Sheva radio station there and our whole thing was to broadcast Arutz Sheva sent us down there with this expensive piece of equipment that we lugged in our tiny little car uh that Peugeot uh, and we lugged it down there and it was it was actually a high tech piece of equipment and had in it also a board an attached board it was a it was an ISDN box but it had a board the whole point of that whole it's thing Really
1: interesting. Well
0: people like Yeah McT- people
1: care about the technical
0: it, without technical without the technical it doesn't work details that you just gave them. All that was in order to yeah. broadcast from from Gaza and to say don't do the disengagement. it's dumb. Stop it and if you stop it, then we won't give away our land to the terrorists and create a terrorist state next door. And here we are now broadcasting again on the other side of all that when the disengagement really did happen and and Gaza did become a terrorist state. Now we're fighting a war with the terrorist state. Uh, we're fighting a semi-war because right now we are uh, giving up uh, terrorists uh, and sending them back into Israeli society, no, no, no less, uh, while they release our hostages with their adroit you know, war that they, they, they put on us. So you know, right now there's frustration. Today, uh, um, another horrific terror attack in Jerusalem where three people have been killed, murdered, um, a pair of brothers and a dayan, right, and a and a Torah, and a Torah uh, um, decider has have been have been. Uh, I un- I
1: understood there was a woman, a 24 year old woman who was killed.
0: The picture is not yet clear to me totally, but there's uh, it's just coming out right now, and that is the situation that that we're facing. Now, I was talking with uh, Shoshana Jaskel, uh, who's uh, you know a very an influencer on, on Twitter. We were just talking. I said to her, "Listen." She said to me, this is so horrible to, to start the day like this and all that. I said to her, listen, if we don't deal with this stuff, it's just like cancer. You can't look away from it. You cannot look away from it. You find out, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid a thousand times that that you're diagnosed with cancer. So you, can, you have a choice right there. Either you're going to deal with it or you're not going to deal with it. You're not going to deal with it. It's going to eat you away. You're going to deal with it. It's going to be painful and ugly and long. But you got to deal with it. you got to kill the cancer cells. And what we got right now in this country is we have a metastasized jihad that is all around us. It is in Gaza. It is in Lebanon. It is in East Jerusalem, Eastern Jerusalem, in Jabal Mukaber, and in Isawiya, and in, Isawiyah, and in uh, what's the other one called? The, the one uh, that uh, the terrorists seem to have come out, in Zurbacher. Uh, and, um, and it's in Israeli Arab cities, like uh Umal Fahem or yafo or ako or ramlan Lud, we got to deal with this stuff directly we can't look away we got to strike that jihad if not if we don't do it if we if we close our eyes if we don't look at it then our kids are going to have to look at it and uh, and there's a moment i've come to a simple conclusion <laughs> maybe it's not simple and my colleagues share this opinion which is that benjamin Netanyahu and his colleagues, this whole, what we call branja, this whole uh, uh, elite uh, grouping, represent are represented by the biblical story of Shaul. Shaul, the first king of Israel, able to build up the kingdom of Israel. People love him. He's a great, you know, he's, he, he looks great. He's a diplomat. He's He's respected, but he just can't get rid of the bad guys. He just doesn't have it. He has a problem with the bad guys. He's kind He has some kind of addiction to even holding them up. But he's unable to slay the bad guys. And then King David comes in and he becomes a little bit more empowered and a little bit more empowered and a little bit more powered, a little more disempowered. He has to run away from, from Shaul because Shaul Saul is, is chasing him. And in the meantime, Shaul starts to lose the plot and he's losing the plot. And that is akin to our government right now, which is, good people, you know, great, great have done great things, but they just are unable to look the Philistines and the Jihad in the face, and they can't do it. They can't do it, and they will not get rid of it. And in fact, one could argue that in the meantime, uh, G- uh, Hamas has been re-empowered with the, with the return of criminals to the society of Israel. It would be one thing if you, and you pointed this out to me, Malka, if you would just send them out to Africa, whatever it is, that would be like exile them. That would be one thing. But to bring them, to bring would-be killers who just happened to have bad luck and weren't able to do it, bring them back into the Israeli bloodstream, that does not make any sense at all. So I'll tell you, what, like the day starts off a little bit rough, right? The day starts off rough. But last night, Malka, you and I went, and the kids went to a fabulous uh, barbecue Made uh, here, not so far away, at the Gush Etzion main army base, and that army base was hopping last night. And and not only was it a barbecue, there was a musical concert there. That concert was so full of good energy. Every good Jewish song that he ever knew, you know, was was played. From you know Gesher Tsar Meoto to Am Yisrael Chai to, to to, uh, to whatever, all the, all the songs that we sing were sung, and you could see that there is a spirit in Israel. And I've come to a simple conclusion. I want to hear your comments on this, Malcolm. My simple conclusion is, even though the government and our reaction may disappoint, even though we could point to a lot of failures in the army and all that stuff, with all the stuff that I said, it is a time of opportunity. We saw yesterday in the army base, Am Yisrael wants Judaism, and they want victory. Those two things. They want Judaism and they want victory. And that means that that is the inner guts of the Jewish state, and, uh, of, of the land of Israel and the Jewish state, and the Jewish people. And that's what we have to focus on now. What are the opportunities? And I want to say to all the listeners of my show if you think that coming to Israel now is not a big deal and nobody's going to really care, you're wrong. You cannot believe how touched. People are by, uh, by American Jews, pro-Israel, Israel lovers showing up here in the land of Israel right now. People are like, wow, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for coming right now. And I think that we all have to realize that this is a time of opportunity for every single one of us to touch lives right now, to bring people str- make people stronger, to, 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 to angle the direction a little bit better. And that's what we have to do. We just have to be as much as possible with courage and with spirit and help angle the trajectories of individual lives and national life uh, in the right direction. That's what I think. What do you think, Maka?
1: Well, hello. I see that you have a lot of strong feelings today. Yes. Today's Uh, a day of strong feelings. You are not alone. That's right. Um, Everyone's having some strong feelings. There's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we t- I think we have talked about this now a few times on the show, the, like the highs and lows. Like last night you said we went to a barbecue. It was thrown for soldiers in our region. Mm-hmm. Um, and some beautiful people paid a lot of money so that like really excellent meat and sufganiyot came out. A little beginning of Kislev, sufganiyot, because uh, Hanukkah is coming up. and uh, And it was a really beautiful party. I was happy to watch it because um it's nice to see the soldiers having a good time you know these soldiers that are around here they aren't the ones who are dealing with like the border right but still here in gusha um there's real security threats there's real security dangers and those people are standing outside in the cold in the rain in the in the mud in the quiet in the loud and the whatever is going on and they uh instead of sitting in their nice quiet ho- quiet homes or going to their university classes or making the money that they make on a regular basis. They're out here serving the Jewish people. So it was nice to see them having a good time. And they really were having a good time. Like sometimes you think like a barbecue, you know, like it's nice. But like they were singing, they were dancing, they were eating, they were. And it was very nice to see this, um, this like boost in morale. It's a real thing. And it was it was really eye opening to watch it uh, myself and to take part in it. I felt like my morale was boosted even. And then it made me realize that I had needed a morale boost. And then I was upset. Right. Because I was just like, oh, your morale was like not so good. Like it turns out that you needed uh, a, like a boost in your morale. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this last period has been tough um as all of you know and people are you know still reach out every once in a while how are you right we saw some some people the people who came in to make this barbecue uh came in from america and they're like how are you right and i'm just like i don't know like i'm okay you know i'm 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 okayer than most people i think and that makes me feel uh blessed and it also makes me feel sad um for everybody else you know all of you guys know having listened to this show for a while that like policy wise we haven't been in favor um, of making a deal with Hamas, even though, of course, it's for these beautiful Jews who absolutely deserve to be brought home by us. Um, And we're all so happy for them, and we're so happy for the families, and we're all watching and being happy, you know? But at the same time, it's like, it feels like what we're doing is sacrificing our long-term security, and that is just something that, that I think that people, you know, you're talking about Isha, a time of opportunity, right? And it's like, it feels like something has happened with the Jews. I don't know how you want to like describe it metaphorically, like we've been pushed into a corner or we've been like had the light shone on the situation, but something is happening where this like casual life of like, you know, periodic, like low grade terror attacks and like a few murdered people here and a few murdered people there where we're all like, that's like somehow normal for us, has become normal for us. And then we're living in this cycle where we're all just like, oh my God, there was a terror attack. That's horrible. Okay, send the kids to school, get out to work. What holiday's coming up? Let's deal with that, right? And it feels like the Jewish people are in a little bit of a different place right now. Not a little bit, a lot of a different place right now. That the Jewish people are just like, no, 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 no. Right. Like, like we've tolerated an intolerable situation for a long time and we're done. There is like a feeling that something has like a switch has flipped or, or the twig is snapped or I'm trying to get the good metaphors today, but I'm failing. Something's happened. And the people are just like, no more. We had this terror attack today and people, of course, are sad. And and these people who are lost, it's like in the midst of a war and after everything and people are still dying and in Jerusalem. And it's just it's just horrible. But it's just it feels like the 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 straw and the camel's back is gonna break. It's like that's it. Like we're we're at a place now, and you know you compared Isha, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to King Saul, and I think that's a good comparison because King Saul is like you know probably a- almost everybody out there knows a person named Shaul, right? Right. Definitely. Somebody's been named like people over the course of many generations have been named after this king, right? Right. He was a great king. He was known for his incredible kindness, and and he was like um he was like chosen by Hashem, and and he was uh legendary right but he was limited and in the end of the day he couldn't he couldn't take the jews long term he could establish a certain like kingdomness for the jews and like stabilize a little bit the situation for the jews but he could not take them to their destiny and i think that Benjamin netanyahu is like a very apt character to compare king saul to because he has taken us very far and in general though I don't think that it's about him Um, but I really think it's about a whole generation of politics or political actors and I think that they can be compared to King Shaul but I have a different comparison that I like to make um, which is to the generation of the desert that we have a group of political actors who who They went through a lot. They held the Jewish people together. Through them, all the Jewish people made it out into the desert and got saved. They cried out to God. They got the Jewish people saved, right? But in the desert, something, a realization occurred. Hashem made a, like, uh, shone light on a realization that these people could not be the generation to go into the land of Israel. There was something about them where they had gotten stuck at a certain level and, and they couldn't take the values and the goals of the Jewish people and actualize them in the, in the land of Israel wouldn't be successful. So you needed a new generation to rise up that could do that. And so they spent 40 years in the desert like that, right? Languishing. Not just languishing, learning Torah and, and you know, solidifying their culture and, and uh, living, growing families, you know until they made it to the land of israel and to me that's the comparison that speaks to me the most which is that we have a generation of israelis and i'm not talking only by age i'm talking by outlook now okay you have a generation uh because an old person can have a new outlook it's possible right but but politically the old generation took us very far they established this whole thing without them we never would have had anything they sacrificed and they scrimped and they built like a crazy system to just try and make this thing function in the best way that they knew how with, with very little experience. And they tried to, to make a country and they succeeded. And this country has gone very, very far. But now they have plateaued. They cannot open their minds to new con- like concepts for the next level of the Jewish uh, development. And so it's time for them to step aside. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to go into exile and it doesn't mean that they never have to be seen on the streets again. And it it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that they don't have a vision for the future that will work for us. And so, you know, we need their advice. We need their guidance. We need, uh, you know, the floor plans of the buildings. But like we need new, fresh blood up in here.
0: Maka, speaking of uh, fresh blood, I had a chance to speak to a young group uh, of a youth organization called Aardvark. That's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, I think they actually chose that name because they wanted to be first on the list of choices. Right. So they're double A. You cannot beat that. Right. That's Aard- a Yeah, it was smart. And what is an Aardvark? Is that like an anteater? I what, think so. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and Israel should be like the anteater You know Why? what I mean We should just Stick our n- nose into the tunnel Lick up those Ew Lick up gross. those bad guys Just And just clean out those, those tunnels with that Okay Yeah we should aardvark In any case I'm gonna I wanna play to you the uh, speech that I gave To the aardvarkers Okay Or, or the varkers Or the Rebbe. I was the Rebbe, And I, I want to play you that speech Before I do I really wanna say again That it's a time of opportunity and you said good things, Malka, and thanks. there's there's really ways to connect right now. Let's keep it strong. Let's keep it strong right now. And I'm telling this to myself. Let's keep it strong. First uh, place of strength is Chevron. That is the tomb of the mamas and the papas and the strong Jewish community that supports it. Right now, we have really a lot of reserve soldiers. And just this week, we fed them in all kinds of uh, awesome barbecues and things. You could be part of that right now. It's an awesome thing to be part of. And I think we could really do uh, a lot for the soldiers of Hebron. Uh, and that's what I would do right now. And that's hebronfund.org. And of course, we look forward to seeing you here. Uh, the people that come here now, they have a big merit, have a big schut. Um, another, and I think
1: they leave uplifted as well. Definitely. To say like the, uh, the potential to give is very, very high and the potential to receive is very, very high.
0: That's right. Uh, still, the Temple Mount is open for visitation. Uh, in the morning in the afternoon and you want to learn more about it go to highondahar.com. and if you're here in t- if you're here in Israel or you're coming in uh go to the mountain of god and pray there it's a local call it's more like actually face to face uh so get in there and check out highondahar.com and be part of their efforts to open up the 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 uh the uh, consciousness of the temple mount to all of us and hopefully a temple one day bizrat Hashem soon and um, I also want to recommend people read the right news uh, because you need that in terms of your mental diet. Your mental diet is very important. JNS.org and JewishPress.com. Maka, uh, just a moment of levity here for a second. Okay. I see that you're sporting a new uh, pair of shoes there. Yes. Uh, on my last trip to America, I was uh, I had the great merit of getting you some, what very are those? puffy shoes. Puffy slip-on shoes?
1: Yeah, they're squishy.
0: The squishy... S-
1: they're good for cooking in the kitchen. And so I, you can stand up for a long time.
0: I had been in California maybe like two, two, three years ago, and I got you a different pair, and you wore those for a long time until they were like destroyed, and I got you a new pair yes. of, uh, of slip-ons. Your mom
1: does not think they're pretty. They, they are that. They
0: are awesome. They are awesome. <laughs> they're really but cool. Why do you mention them? Because I see you're, uh, you're, uh, they're making me happy that you have a new uh, something... There's got to be a light. There's got to be a happy light. It's
1: definitely, that that isn't like the weirdest thing. I mean, it was weird initially, but I want to say it's not the weirdest thing. Oh, and speaking of that. Those little things, because it's not such an easy time, you guys. Yeah. So like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, do the little things that make you happy, that bring a little, eat that sandwich, get that iced coffee. Yeah. Buy yourself the shoe, take that walk, learn that piece of Torah, spend that extra 10 minutes with your friend, like do the things that you need to do. We
0: have a window in our bedroom that the in the wintertime, especially the sun rises right towards that window. And in the wintertime, a lot of times I just like stand there and get sun. Oh, yeah. You get morning. a little bake. Yeah, and I a do face. a little like three, four minutes and I like feel great. Uh, it's yeah. just an important thing.
1: It's time. Yeah. do You know, they talk about like self-care. Yeah. Like do something nice for yourself.
0: Well, we need to shine a light right do now. Do something
1: nice for other people too.
0: Absolutely.
1: Everybody around you is dealing as well. That's right. You know? That's right. So take that Take that second to show some kindness to somebody. That's
0: a great point, Maka. And, and uh, right now we have... Uh, we have we have Hanukkah coming. Yes. And before Hanukkah is my father's yurt site, so I want to mention uh, my father's uh, yurt site, which is uh, the, the, his day of passing, and uh, that's happening That's happening uh, this Sunday. So that's Alexander Ben Benyamin. I want to dedicate the show to him today. The Alexander Ben Benyamin is his yurt site this Sunday, the, the 20th. Uh, he died young, sadly, and Bezrat Hashem, his neshama should have an aliyah, and he should get a little nachas from the show and the stuff that we're doing. Amen. Um, And I want to thank the people who who leave a little bit of of coin at uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Thank you for
1: that coffee so So much.
0: Carol writes, love the show. You and Malka, Ben and Rabbi Shimshon, your friends who come on, the other guests, always I learn something and I feel uplifted always. Even in these last seven terrible weeks may we be strengthened amen Amen. thank you so so thank you very much i want to thank also
1: krista she put up a a video on instagram she has her own instagram account she's not like an influencer or anything she's just like an awesome she's an influencer on us she's just like a human being out there yeah and she put up this like beautiful video of herself holding an israeli flag outside her house and she and it was like with music like i'll i'll like I forget, I forget exactly the words. It's like, I'll stand with you. I'll like put my life with yours. That kind of thing.
0: Amazing. And it's just
1: like, man, I got to say that stuff. It really lights up my heart.
0: I want to say something about it that. It makes Maka. me
1: feel like, like there's just, there's so many good people out there. And I know that, that all of you listening out there, your hearts are just like full with the desire to help, uh, push this project forward. You know what I mean? For the Jews, for yourself, For the whole world, just to see the good stuff happen that we've all been waiting for for so long.
0: That's right. And every single one of us can do something more and can light that candle right now in somebody else's heart. Okay, somebody who has been doing it for a very long time is the one and only amazing reporter and has been doing it for decades. His name is Walter Bingham.
1: Walter Bingham.
0: Walter Bingham is 99. He's wow. he likes to say going is in his 100th year. Wow. And he's still going strong. He was just in Germany.
1: Gewalt, that re, man Ein Hara, reliving, so amazing. He
0: relived the uh, and he reenacted along with others the Kinder Transport. Wow. Uh, our own brave and intrepid reporter Ben Bresky ventured to meet Walter Bingham and so this week's uh, show is about somebody who's uh, turning 100. Wow. And who's done much more for Am Israel than uh, Henry Kissinger, who passed away today and who uh, in many ways articulated Israeli weakness to this very day, starting with the forcing Israel not to um, be the first to respond to, not to have a, 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 a what's it called, a, a strike. Preemptive. A preemptive strike at the Yom Kippur War and that, and that caused so many more things. And so Walter Bingham is, uh, is, I think, he's the other 100 year old who's doing amazing things Believe for Israel. The That's right. And he uh, continues to be strong. So here's our own Ben Bresky interviewing Walter Bingham. This is a moment
2: in Jewish history. My name is Ben Bresky. And this week, I'm going to interview Walter Bingham, who is a journalist and reporter. He is the host of Walter's World on Israel National News and Israel News Talk Radio, and his articles can be seen in the Jerusalem Post. When Walter was young, he was in the Kindertransport. Recently, he participated in a reenactment of the Kindertransport, and he traveled to Germany just coincidentally when the war started. So Walter, I'm sure you have a lot of interesting things to say about your trip and about the unexpected events that happened in Israel just as you left.
3: Well yes, we were scheduled to do this recreation of the kinder transport and then the war broke out on Shabbat, but we still went on the trip on Sunday. When I say we, there were three ex kinder who were still fit to travel. I was the oldest. I was almost 16 when I went on the Kindertransport. My colleague, George Sheffy, he was seven or eight, and then there was Paul Alexander. There were three of us, and he was one year and seven months old, so he he talked about various other things of his, his youth. The organization that organized it were March of the Living. March of the Living are best known for There are marches from Auschwitz to Birkenau, but that's not really all they do. They're involved in very many other things. This was one of their events. So we flew out from Israel to Berlin. George, who came from Berlin, was interviewed at various places that he remembered from his youth. By the way, our kosher food was supplied everywhere by Chabad, very kindly. The next day, we went to a monument in Berlin and we were photographed and interviewed there. And then from there, in the early afternoon, we already went on a train across Germany about six hours to the city of my birth, Karlsruhe, which is totally on the other side of the country. The next day, I had three and a half hours of filming at various locations in the city of my birth. And in the afternoon, once again, we were on a train, changing at Cologne on the way to Amsterdam. Did some filming in the morning. In various places are monuments to the Kindertransport, and those were the main places we went to. And the next day from Amsterdam, we went by road to the Hook van Holland, which is the port north of Amsterdam, where we took a ferry to England, to Harwich, Actually, kinder were transported to that place, to the Hook van Holland, from all over Germany, Austria, and the by then occupied Sudetenland. But all kinder transport went via Hook van Holland, via that port, and from there by the Stadt kind of ferry to Harwich, that's the port in England, and from Harwich by train to London. Liverpool Street Station, one of the main stations in London, and everyone went there. And at the station, on the platform, the children were uh, sorted out or divided according to the ticket, I suppose. We had around our neck to their various destinations. Then there was a ceremony in Hyde Park, a religious ceremony with the chief rabbi. That was the end of the official trip.
2: And what did the Germans that you met and the British people, what were their attitudes?
3: Well, it was different from uh, 1988 when I was invited to that town of my birth by the municipality, who were very nice, but the population didn't seem to care about us. Nobody smiled, nobody laughed, nobody waved at that time. This time it was different. We were approached by locals in Germany. Even in Amsterdam, I noticed, they were very interested. But of course, you know, we made what you call (laughs) in Yiddish aggerido. You couldn't miss us because we had two cameramen, a sound man, and lighting. And so that was quite a commotion in the street, naturally. But they were friendly, they were interested, and they were very happy to see us. I'm not sure about all, but many. On the whole, the atmosphere was so much different. Of course, it was already war, and people had already heard about the tragedy that happened, so it it was quite fresh, and people were aware of it. So the, the Germans were different from what they used to be. Just as an aside, this week, the president of Germany was in Israel, and the president of the Bundestag of the German Parliament were also here, and they spoke glowingly about Israel and their support and how much they're on our side, and that is the German government.
2: Was it just a different attitude in the 1980s of a different generation? Was it the circumstances?
3: I suppose you're quite right. I suppose there was a different generation from 1988 to now. One mustn't forget that immediately after the war, the generation where the children of those who voted for Hitler, the generation of Nazis, and their children were still indoctrinated. And it takes several generations to take the poison out of their system. And today, thank God, I think it's much better. There is an element of neo-Nazis, but that is relatively small. And the main bulk of the population, I think, have woken up to the fact that they were duped by the Nazis.
2: You know, Walter, there's some people who would say, Germany, we should never set foot in that country ever again. But it was important for you to go there,
3: and I'm curious why. Well, whenever I talk to someone about Kindertransport in the past, they immediately brought up the name of Dr. Schonfeld or Nicholas Winton. Now, Both of those men were, in my view, tzaddikim, because each one of them on his own initiative saved something over 600 children, and they were very much publicized, particularly Nicholas Winton, who was non-Jewish, and everyone knew about that. But very few people seemed to know about the Kindertransport. That gave the whole thing the name and saved thousands of children. And so it was very important for me to take part in this to make sure that that particular event is publicized. And
2: it was. International Children's Day takes place every year on the 20th of November. And some Israeli newspapers, including Ma Riv and Israel Hayom, noted that the Kinder Transport Recreation and commemoration took place coinciding with International Children's Day, and they also tied it in with what's happening in Israel today with the hostages, many of whom are children. And with that, Walter, I want to thank you for coming on, and if you have any final words you want to share with the listeners.
3: It is very regrettable. It's regrettable that those of us who had to endure the horrors of the Nazi regime have today again live through these tragic events.
2: This has been a moment in Jewish history. I will be posting articles about Walter's recent trip as well as links to his podcast Walter's World on benbresky.substack.com. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer, who was instrumental in setting up Walter with his first radio show in Israel. Thank you to all the listeners, and Shalom.
0: Ben, thank you so much for bringing the voice man, of Walter man, to the man. show. Man,
1: rock stars.
0: That's amazing. Thank you very much, Ben. Walter Bingham is is a legend and uh, and we have a big schoot to have uh, worked with him uh, at a Sheva, and uh, he continues to be part of our life. God bless you guys. All right, Maka, uh, it's time to put on my sh- my my talk with Aardvark. So I wanted to play that for you and before we do, I just want to thank the good people at prohibitionpickle.co.il and uh, they are making great food and, and helping people out, help, helping uh, help, help make Shabbos for women whose husbands are away and many other people who need help right now. So that's uh, prohibitionpickle.co.il. I want to thank the good folks at Retro Watch Guy. And right now, some great that's that's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is like retro watch, but Bazman right? Ah, that's <laughs> that's
1: so cool. That yeah. should definitely be their logo.
0: Yeah, but Mahem like old school watch, Basman awesome. getting it today. <laughs> Basman, get it Zman. I
1: yeah, got it.
0: <laughs> so that's retrowatchguy.com. dot and, so cool. and I love my Retro Watch Guy watch. Uh and so that's really cool. Uh and of course, uh, of course of course kosher cycle tours. I would love a little kosher cycle tour right now. It would be it would be great, and the weather's I'll so nice to outside. live
1: in a scenario in which we could take a kosher cycle tour comfortably in Israel with no concerns whatsoever about our security. <sighs>
0: It'll happen, but we got to do a lot of work till then. So check out koshercycletours dot com. Okay, Malka, let's do the Ardvark speech. I recorded it. It's got two different audio components because the first part I recorded with a microphone, then it stopped working for some reason, and the second part Ben Bresky did his best to to pump it up. But I think it'll be instructive for you. There's a lot there. Uh, and, and a lot of young people asking real questions. These are, are liberal-minded, left of center, uh, young people that are pro-Israel, that are here in Israel uh, for the year and have not left because of the war. And they had some tough questions for me as well. And so here's my presentation to Aardvark in Jerusalem. I am the spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron. Uh, Hebron is a community one hour south, from Jerusalem, it's one hour from here. It is the capital of a region called Judea. It is the Jewish people's most ancient city. It's, it's where we have the oldest Jewish community that has existed for the Jewish people. It's also home for of the uh, first purchase of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. That is the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, also known as the Maratha Machpelah. Who's been there? Anybody? Nice. Okay, so some people in the room and the rest have not. So Maratha Machpelah houses... Uh, Abraham and Sarah Isaac and Rebecca Jacob and Leah uh, And also the head of Asaph According to legend uh, But the, the point is, is It's a very ancient site And on top of that site Is a 2,000 year old building That 2,000 year old building Is perfectly uh, intact uh, And it is a very historical building And it's the Maratha Machpelah building And people visit it from all over the world In normal times We have about a million visitors a year To the Maratha Machpelah. It is holy to both Jews, Muslims, Christians Abraham is buried there It's very important It's also a a so-called settlement Which means that it's in uh, the heart of a uh, a contested city Uh, But we are proud to uh, be working there and living there And fighting for Jewish rights in this place Uh, It is a city that has We have a lot of colleagues We have a lot of friends on the Arab side But we also have some enemies It's also a Hamas city in part uh, and so we are a defended ethnic minority in the city, and so we defend ourselves from jihadism and and, and folks that want to get rid of us. Uh, we we don't let that happen. Right now uh, we're in a different state of affairs because of the conflict that Israel's in right now, uh, after the Hamas attack on the seventh of October, um, and that the Simcha Torah War, the seventh of October War, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're at a heightened uh, state of readiness in Hebron, and uh, we're, you know, uh, in, in a different kind of uh, mental situation. Most of our men are in uh, a reserve duty, uh, not necessarily in Gaza, most of them locally, mostly in Hebron, taking defensive positions, making sure uh, that we're not overrun by the uh, jihadis that exist in the town. Not everybody in the town is a jihadi at all. We have a whole tribe that's very friendly to us, the Jabri tribe, I myself have eaten the Iftar dinner there many times, uh, but there are also not a few enemies, so we do our best to make sure that uh, we continue to be safe. I wanted to start my talk today by asking you a simple question, which is why do you think that um, Hamas attacked Israel on the 7th of October? Like what, was the, what was the reason? Like what, what, or, or let's put it this way, what was the strategic goal that they were trying to achieve? Anybody, go ahead.
3: Kill as many Jews as possible.
0: Okay, but, and, and maybe that is the answer, okay? But just to kill many Jews is, shall I say, if you're like, I'm going to kill a lot of Jews, but then they're going to come and kill me back, then what, what was their goal? There, there, there was, was there, was there,
1: like, the,
0: just to sow fear. Okay, fair enough. In order to what? In order to what? Sow fear? Uh, to get a response. To get a response? So, the and therefore what? To achieve what? Martyrdom. All right, that's one direction. Good. Next. To, to, to liberate the land, to get rid of Israel. But you must believe that they didn't think that they would have the power necessary to really get rid of us. They're a terror organization. They're not a ready army, like a standing army. You've got to do a lot to get rid of a whole country like Israel.
2: When I thought about like, the strategic, also the timing... It falls to a time, I'd say, where there's a lot more, let's say, peace, there was a lot more peace in the future, like possible peace. Also with a lot of diplomacy between Israel and different Arab states here in the region, tightening the bonds and strengthening peace agreements. And maybe Hamas is an organization that completely rejects it. So they maybe saw the, what happened, that they just tried to make peace even more difficult or impossible with other states and hope they maybe also hope that other, other Arab states or organizations may join in and therefore reheats.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I think I have to agree that I think that the goal was was strategic, more than just to kill a lot of Jews, more than try to take over the land. I think that there was a real problem coming up for the jihadi way of thinking. And that one was the fall of of the big anti-Israel state Which has been one of Israel's you know, Big enemies for the last 100 years And that's Saudi Arabia And Saudi Arabia was starting to Teeter towards The Abraham Accords Now What is the Abraham Accords? I'm going to answer that by saying that there are really two different narratives Two different narratives I call them narrative trees Okay, I'm going to describe to you two narrative trees Here's one narrative tree Israel is a Semitic country that speaks a similar language to Arabic. We are genetic cousins with the Arabs. And in fact, the Quran says in four verses that the Jewish people are going to live in the land of Israel. And the Jews and the Arabs are cousins. As I said, similar genetics, similar language, similar religion. And we've had this war in the past, but it's time to put that away and time to make an Abrahamic region because we're all the children of Abraham. And Israel's a tribal people, like other tribal peoples. They will live on their tribal lands. And we, will, the, we the Arabs, will live in different parts of the tribal lands. And we'll start to have cooperation. Start to have cooperation. So from there'll be a train line from Istanbul coming down through the ancient biblical city of Damascus. And split off one will go to Amman. The other one will go to Jerusalem, towards Alexandria in Egypt, towards Riyadh on the, on the sea, and Mecca in the desert, and all the way to the Persian Gulf. We're going to have this like, new thing where we're going to have an Abrahamic alliance, Abrahamic peoples. We're going to share the historical wealth of this place. And we're going to, we're going to see the beauty. Now, in, in UAE, they just recently constructed a synagogue, mosque, and church complex, which is like this like Abrahamic center. And it was going in this direction. Came President Trump. You can like him or not like him. But... He had the uh, ability to envision this thing called the Abraham Accords. By the way, the, the name was not his or, 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 uh, or even David Friedman's. It was actually some, some Puerto Rican general ran into the room like, we need a name for this thing. And he came up with this name, the Abraham Accords. Uh, in any case, the Abraham Accords was moving, and now Saudi Arabia, which was this thing, which was anti-Israel forever, wouldn't even let Israel fly over Saudi Arabian airspace Suddenly, El Al is flying over Saudi Arabia, which makes it a much shorter flight to India, etc. And suddenly, you felt that there's a change. Well, if you're Iran Iran, and you are trying to uh, uh, continue to foment a war against Israel, and you want the Islamic world to be against Israel and and not to fall into this Abrahamic Accords, you want to start something that will make the Arab world once again hate the Jews and remember that thing. Now, here's another narrative tree. Here's another narrative tree. This area is an Islamic land. This whole region is Islamic lands. And in the Middle Ages, and it's been so since the 600s. Since the 600s, it's been Islamic. Then, in medieval times, came the Crusaders. And the Crusaders were these folks from Germany and France and England. And they came in and they took over Muslim lands. It was called the Crusaders. They had the Latin Kingdom. okay, And Islam was able to get rid of them and push them out. When the Mamluks came and other Arab groups came, they pushed them back out, Islamic groups. Then came World War I. And, and once again, the Crusades came at them. And the Brits came and pushed out the Turks. And they pushed out the Muslims from the land. And then they brought in the Jews. The same Jews who rejected Muhammad. The same Jews who even rejected Jesus. Those Jews, they were now the emissaries of this Crusade. And this crusade is now stuck the Jews, which are, by their own uh, admission, are a Western implant in this region. They don't speak Arabic, they're white, and they are a different group of people that don't belong here, and now they are occupying our Islamic lands. We've got to get rid of them, and it's a religious obligation to get rid of them. It's a religious must, because once an Islamic land has been conquered, it's not allowed to be lost. That's called Dar el Harb and Dar el Salam. The Dar el Harb is the area of the sword which, which needs to be conquered, and Salam is where, you know, there's even a capital in Tanzania called Dar el Salam, which is, which is where Islam has conquered. So now the Jews are nothing but the next crusade. And if you read the Hamas Charter, you will find that it's all over the Hamas Charter that indeed the Jews are nothing but white colonialist crusaders coming that 's right, coming to represent that 's right, coming to represent the white Christian West taking over Islamic lands all right and so and so now which narrative tree do you go with now, in order to get liberal Americans uh, to buy into that, so they 're not going to give you the the crusader tree because that 's not going to really be that attractive because you're like who's crusaders what are you talking about israel is not a crusade and so they have a new way of, of presenting that that presentation is something different which is israel as a white colonialist but like in the in the sense of you turn out to a, to american let's say uh the the black community and, and others and you say you see what happened you guys okay yeah okay so you could you see the Jews are actually just like those white colonialists who came and took over Africa, right? And therefore they fit right into that into that in framework. Or for example, I've had many dealings with Germans, a German press, and they don't understand. To them, they feel bad that the that that once again the whites are colonizing uh, 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 a different land. They feel bad because they think that the Jews are somehow their creation, or or somehow that they should feel bad about it, and they don't feel bad that, like, we now, they don't remember the Holocaust, and that we should have our homeland, and we deserve our land, and that we're actually Middle East people. They have a totally different narrative, which is post-God, post-colonial, post-family, and uh, post even guns and defense, and they don't like the Jews, because the Jews are now this, like, gun-toting, white, colonialist thing. And so uh, you have uh, these different narrative trees. You have these different narrative trees. And we fit into narrative trees that make our enemies weaken Israel and make our enemies hungry to, to try to destroy us. Now, what they did with this war was very successful. They turned the Arabs back into hating Israel. Why? Because they, they needed Israel to kill 14,000 Arabs. They needed that. Hamas did. Because then they could be like, look, look what Israel does. They kill our people. You can never, Saudi Arabia, you can never make peace with these guys. They kill Arabs. Another narrative tree is, jihad is bad for Arabs. So I turn to my Arab friends and I say to them, it's the Hamas that's killing you. They're taking your money. They're all corrupt. They're building tunnels instead of a life. And and they make endless war and they're destroying the Arab world. That's a narrative that's a little bit harder to to sell sometimes. So that's the situation. When I face German a press, so they ask me, they say to me, why are you here in Chevron? What should I answer to that? Why do, I, why do you live in Chevron? What's the answer to that? So the first answer I give them is, well, it's the Bible. You know? We're the people of the Bible. The Bible shows a connection here. What do, what do young German press folks think when I tell them the Bible? Young German folks. Not nice Christian Germans. Yeah. Nice German regular folks living in Frankfurt. Exactly. They're like, what the heck are you talking to me about? They don't think about the Christian Bible. They've never read it. They, they think to themselves, I cannot believe you just mentioned the Bible. What do you, take women over the head and drag them into a cave? What are you, a Neanderthal? Where do you live? And so the word Bible means nothing to them. And then when you talk about, if I say the nationalism, it's because of Jewish nationalism, I want to protect my life. What do they say to me? nationalism is Nazi. nazism there you go so they're like yeah nationalism is bad so I'm like I'm like in total trouble because I just said Bible they didn't like it nationalism and when they say defense defense and guns what do they think
1: Attack. Guns.
0: Attack. yeah guns are bad you know you got you guys are all a bunch of you know endlessly armed you know hooligans anybody here from Texas any Texans?
2: Tennessee does not
0: count. It uh, counts, it counts close. If so I go to Tennessee and I say to them, I'm, I'm in the land of Israel because of the Bible, what do they say? Hell yeah. They say, hell yeah, that's right. And I say to them, well, because of nationalism, what you guys call patriotism, what do they say?
1: Hell
0: yeah. They say, hell yeah. And if I say to them, we got to defend ourselves against the bad guys with guns. Amen. They say amen, that's right. So, the narrative that you present in, in Tennessee is, is is more readily acceptable. That's the challenge that we have right now, and I think that if we, if we look at it, if we look at it from this lens, we'll start to kind of uh, sense you know what this war is really about, what this war is really about, and to be actually impressed with their success. The bad guys have had a lot of success against us, uh, and they have a success also. You do know that TikTok is showing at least 10 to one, if not 100 to one, more pro Hamas. Videos. Have you seen that yourself? It's already been studied. We face a few different wars. Israel, actually, the truth of the matter is, now this is something, if I speak at a liberal American temple, like a conservative reform temple, I get a lot of times people say to me, yeah, but you're the strongest country in the region. And I'm always like, that's your perspective. My perspective is that we got Hamas on one side, Hezbollah on another side, Iran from the east, uh... Jihadism on American campus, jihadism in, in TikTok, and so, and we, not to mention the Israeli Arabs, who are also armed and fought with us a conflict in May of 2020, uh, 2021, and the uh, West Bank, so called Palestinian Arabs, their you know, armament against us and their Hamas ideology. So I'm just like, I don't think we should be as confident as all that. We should be, one second, I'll get to you. We should be uh, 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 ready to defend. Because there's a lot of forces out there, all kinds of forces that want us to shrink, to want us to, to want to want they want to get us off our land, and they want. To, now, by the way, the new claim is that September October seventh didn't happen, or that if it happened, the Israeli choppers killed the majority. You heard about this now? It's starting to come out. That's like this week's this week's new narrative, right? So we've got a we've got a big battle. Um, and that's why that's why a person like me has a, it really lives a life where I see the world in terms of on the one hand I've got kids and, and a wife and we have a decent life a happy life, but we see ourselves still in battle uh, for our Jewish rights and especially our Jewish rights in, in Judea and Samaria, our ancestral homeland and in places like Hebron they want to use every trick in the book to get us out of there uh, from, from UNESCO that decided a few years ago that the tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs is a Palestinian World Heritage Site. It's a 2,000 year old building built by a Jewish king on top of Jewish tombs from 3,800 years ago. No, it's a Palestinian World Heritage Site. To uh, all the challenges that we face on American campus, TikTok, etc., we've got a battle going on. And I don't think that we should be, we should be confident because we believe in Jewish destiny and in God, in, 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 the, in the strength of our peoplehood, the strength of our army. Uh, But to be just confident, like, we're the biggest guys on the block around here? No. We're a small group. And there are other small groups, armed minorities like us. You know what's another group like us? The Kurds. The Kurds. Are they Muslim? They're Muslim. But who hates the Kurds? The Syrians? The Turks? The Iraqis? The Iranians? And they are an armed ethnic minority in this region, and that's how they survive. That's what we are. We are an armed ethnic minority, a tribal people on a tribal land, holding on to what's ours. It's a lot of narratives I want to be told to erase our rights and erase our strength. And I think it's incumbent upon us to fight back. That's what I have to say, and now I'm ready to answer your questions. And I, I owe somebody here, was it you? Somebody who, who did I owe? Yeah, yeah, that's right. What
2: did you mean by being
0: Tell me your name, where are you from? What did
2: you mean by being a Hamas city?
0: Or I mean what? that the main spirit of the mayor, a Palestinian Authority mayor, but he's, he's a guy who murdered six Jews in 1980. His name is Tesir Busnana. And, and the atmosphere that's strong in the mosques and the other places is Hamas. That's the strong atmosphere there. And so the education the kids are getting, I spoke to my Arab friend in Hebron, he told me right now Hamas is riding very high in Hebron, in Hebron, very high. The kids think Hamas is amazingly cool. So like you said when you speak at like, a, for instance, the temple and people's like, but Israel
2: is the strongest country in the region and you're like, well, I'm just curious, like do, you, like, do you think Israel is the strongest country in the nation, even if it's like, I'm not saying it's easy, like, there's people on all sides of this country that aren't a very big fan of Israel, like, it's not like it's a, an easy uh, a job to have, but like, I'm just curious whether or not you think Israel is the is the power that the rest of the world
0: Kind of, it a bit. We have a strong military and a strong economy, but Israel's borders have shrunken a lot since I was a kid and became a much smaller country, much smaller. It, it, we have issues inside our country with, the, with, the, with Bedouins shaking down businesses in the Negev, mm-hmm. same thing in the north, it's called protection rackets. We had a war in 2021 where ten synagogues were burnt down. Um,
1: it's okay.
0: it's on again. And um, I think that we should not overestimate our position, and we should not underestimate the enemy. Just one second. For a person like me, what happened on October 7th was not a huge surprise and something that we've been warning about, and so in 2005, I was amongst the people who were trying to block. The disengagement, the leaving, the dismantling of Jewish communities in Gaza, and leaving that area. And our call was: if we leave this area, it would become a forward jihad base, and they'll tunnel, rocket, and do whatever to destroy us from there. You're giving, you're giving headwind to the, an appetite to the Jihad. Did you live in this cuisine? I did, for a month and a half before the evacuation eviction. We tried to stop it, we moved down there, and we fought desperately to try to stop this evacuation. And and we were right. We were right. How are uh, We were right that, that, indeed, that's what happened. It became a Hamas terror state par excellence, uh, and they've used every, uh, except for the money that they pocketed, they used everything else to create a war machine against us. I just think that we should not be haughty. Haughtiness is a killer. I don't like to underestimate my enemies. I prefer to overestimate. I prefer to respect my enemies. Not think that they're a bunch of dummies. I don't think that. And I don't I don't joke around with them. It's the Middle East. You don't play around with these things. Do you think that America, being Israel's biggest ally, has an effect on other Arab
2: countries' decisions towards us, in a sense, because we have a lot of conflict between us and Iran, but if Iran really wanted to, they could send missiles here anytime they wanted to, but they don't. So I'm saying in a sense, is is one of the reasons that we're not constantly getting attacked by other
0: Arab nations because we have America as a big ally? Okay, let me answer it a little bit more broadly, which is how I see the Israel-America relationship. It is complex. It is complex. Because on the one hand, America still is of the remaining superpowers. Maybe, maybe it's waning a little bit uh, in terms of its superpower status with trillions of dollars in debt to China and other things. Uh, Could be that it's waning as a superpower. Maybe not. Uh, When you come to America, it still feels like a big, powerful country with great cities and, and lots of good folks. And and there's no question that our relationship with America, you know, protects us at the UN and other places. On the other hand, it really depends which America, because to me, the Biden administration, for example, Biden Obama sent 250 billion dollars to Iran. Now, just in the last few weeks, Biden has released about 16 billion dollars to Iran, and has tried to get to a place of reproachment with with uh, with Iran, and. Uh, is always pushing us to relinquish our land to the Palestinian Authority, which is exactly what happened in 2005, disengagement, which is you give away the land, they make a terrorist state, and we're like, no, we want to live in our ancestral homeland. He's like, no, you should create a, a Palestinian Authority here. And they fund it, and they fund a lot of stuff that basically ends up being the enemies of Israel. So the relationship is complex. And, and I am not anti-America, uh, not at all, but I'm also not like... I'm going to tell you that it's all great because it's not. It's really not. Uh, p- pushing us to give away our land to our enemies is bad and dumb and ends up hurting us. Uh, and and the Biden administration is pushing them real hard, real hard. And they've also created another narrative, which is now settler violence. You know, we're attacking the Arabs. Come on, like we're under attack here, defending ourselves. Um, so it's a complex relationship. I think that when you when you deal with America, you you have to make distinctions. America a big country. And we have allies, and we have non-allies in that big country. We have allies, and we have people who support our enemies. Uh, and uh, you know, Congress has a lot of great people that are pro-Israel, and then it's got some people who are not pro-Israel. Rashida play, and, and the rest of those folks—they are—they are—you know—they are—but they are they are, you know they are but they do not even deny it. They—they—they they, they say we're, we're enemies of Israel. Um, and so. So there's a, there's a struggle. Another place is American campus. An American campus, you're going to meet a lot of professors who are, who are anti-Israel. And you're going to meet a lot of clubs and things like that that are, that are, that are anti-Israel. So you know, is, is America you know, just an ally? Not exactly. And so we have to, like, like, with a, like with a big ally like that, you've got to negotiate it. Another thing America does is that they give us money. How much money do they give us? No, not a lot. See, this is a big misnomer. The answer is 3 billion dollars here. 3 billion dollars. 3 billion dollars is a lot or a little bit of money. It's a lot. It's bubkish. Okay? Our 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 GDP, our yearly GDP is approaching 500 billion. So it's, we're talking about that it's not 1%, okay? And so and so we and that money is good money for joint development. We developed uh, uh, munitions and ideas for defense that, that they use, but the problem with that money is they don't let us buy from other people, from China, Russia, whatever. They don't let us develop our own stuff. They don't like it if we make our we make our own tanks, but they stopped us from making our own jets, etc. So that relationship is has has uh, more than one side, I, and I'm not anti-American. I have friends war. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not anti. I think there's good people there and good people in Congress. And so, and there's there's good folks, and certainly in the te- in the Texas-Tennessee places, there's a lot of good folks, and in Florida, DeSantis is a, is I think an unbelievable guy. Um, uh, and you can disagree, guys. When I say when I said DeSantis is an unbelievable guy, I don't mean to say all of his policies. I'm not talking about his other policies. I'm not talking now about like abortion and stuff. That's not my that's not my issue. I'm talking about Israel. I'm talking about Israel. Do you
1: believe that the policies?
0: Right. The answer is no. You asked whether I believe the Palestinian people have a right to this land. What I think you, what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, the question is do they have a right to a state? Because there's a big difference in my mind whether they have a right to a state or a right to their house and their property. Those are very different things. One is called civil rights, the other one is called national rights. If you ask me, does any person, Jew or non-Jew, have a right to their property that they've owned for X number of years? Sure. Of course they do. And that right should be protected by the state of Israel's liberal-minded protections of, 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 of property. But do I think that Palestinians have a right to a state in this land? I certainly do not.
2: But how can you ignore the history that the Palestinians will do have
0: in this land? I, it's not, not only do I not ignore it, <laughs> not only do I not ignore it, I know it. And that's why I say what I say. Palestinian people, let's, let's put it this way. Arabs in general have never had a state in this land. They, one second, just put your hands up for a second. They've had various controls. They always kept us as a backwater place. Palestinianism, if you go back, uh, was the Arabs, the Arab leaders themselves, and I can pull up all the, the times that they said, we created the consciousness of Palestine to fight Israel. We created it to be a, be a, a narrative that this is an alternative narrative. There was never a Palestinian state. There is no Palestinian history in this land of, a, of, a, of any kind of gathering. They were Syrians, they were Turks, there were a million things, but it was a backwater of these provinces. And so there's no Palestinian coinage, there's no Palestinian stamps, there's no Palestinian, there's, there's, there's just, there's no Palestinian king, there's nobody before Yasser Arafat. Nobody. They don't, they don't have anything that they could claim is, is, is really theirs. Now, did Palestinian Arab locals live here? Yes. Yes. Yes, they did. There's no question about it. In a huge numbers, no. You can even read Mark Twain uh, traveling, and it's it's empty. It's empty land. They had a few thousand, a few hundred thousand people here. It's it's true. But the majority of Arabs that we have today came as a result of Zionism. Why? Because finally in the Middle East there was job opportunities. There was finally going to be some money around here. So they started moving in. They started moving in. Now. Uh, if you're going to already claim that Palestinians have a right to the state, a much better claim is Jordan, which is 90% Palestinian. They have a totally fake king who was brought in by the British. He's a Hashemite, a Bedouin from Saudi Arabia, has nothing to do with Jordan. They brought him in. Read the history. They brought him in. They like, they're like he, they didn't want him to go fight in France, so they, they made him a king there. They cut away half the land of Israel, and they were like, you'll be the king of Jordan, okay? And it was called Transjordan. jordan they changed the names all the time. Bottom line is that because I know the history, I say that there's absolutely no claim of self-determination for Arabs, Palestinians in this land. Zero. What there is, is that a non-jihadist, pro-Israel Arab, should have the right to live in Israel as a Muslim, Arab, Palestinian, whatever he wants to be called, as long as he respects our laws and our rights. This is our tribal lands. How many Arabs are there in this region? 400 million. How many Jews are there? 7 million. We're a tiny ethnic minority on our ancestral land. This is our ancestral land, so recognized by the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Quran. All right? It is it is it is known and recognized that the Jews are from this land. Uh, and now there's a group of people that want to fight us. So that now they, in order to get, and I say this lovingly and without any, I'm not trying to make fun, they want to get good-hearted liberal folks, to liberal-minded folks, to believe that they have every right to this land, so they created this narrative. Now they want us to force us out, and then the minute we give them a chunk of land, they go back to what they're really about, which is jihad. Not all of them, not all of them, not every, I know not all of them, you don't have to tell me, I know maybe even better than you about the other Arabs that are not jihadists, but I'm telling you that there is a jihad out there, and that's the main impetus, and not land rights and history and all that, it's bogus. And this is our land, that's what people like me think.
2: Why do you think the pro-Palestine movement is so closely associated with the left? Like, why are they so quick to jump in it? People especially that don't really have a strong association to the issue. Like, I can almost understand more people that have a family or like, a close association,
1: but I don't know why the, this Middle Eastern conflict has become a, a difference between left and right. I don't, like, can you try to explain why that's... What's her
0: name? Ariel. I don't, sorry. Ariel from London asks a fabulous question. Which I think is one of, should be one of the most fundamental questions that we should be asking all the time. Ariel, quite good. Give her a sticker or something, okay? All right. right. The reason I applaud your question is because I think that it's one of the greatest questions of our time, which is, what does progressivism have to do with jihadism? Like, why would these two completely... Seemingly contradictory uh, m- 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 movements and motives have to do with one another. Why would they be aligned? It's almost senseless. I think the answer is like this. It's it's not a simple answer. So okay, so one is I'll give a few answers, okay? Because a lot of times these big sociological things have different guys. If you don't mind, I know I know it's exciting, but just one second. Um, the uh, hating of Jews is a ancient, primordial feeling. But it's not nice. So in order to fulfill your anti-Semitism, you oftentimes need a good reason. You're like, ah, you see? They're killing the Palestinians. You see? And now I have the license to hate. Now I can hate fully because I've always wanted to hate. And I know I hate those pesky, stinky Jews. But I haven't had a real reason, now I can feel good because they're the bad ones and they got to be wiped out. That's one. Two, London, England, not so long ago, a gigantic empire, ginormous empire, it held India, and Canada,
1: and the islands,
0: and it just the ships, and the sun, sun never set on the British empire. Suddenly they're a tiny little island, right? So they've become philosophically anti-colonialist, and now they're looking at the Jews and they're like, you see, that's, we had something to do with that, and, because remember, the British won World War I, helped us you know, create a state, and now they're like, no, 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 no that's bad. We've got to be anti-colonial. So we, the, the Jewish, the Zionist project, since it's a colonialist project, needs to end as well. So they've got like this white guilt thing going on. Another reason is, because of their... Uh, That's a second reason. A third reason is because the liberalism of, of of England has allowed jihadists to move in and basically take over. Okay? It is not a safe place anymore. I, it's hard to say it. I'm a, you know, I like London a lot. It's a wonderful place. But it's not as wonderful as it used to be. And so today, you go to London, you may not want to walk around with a keep out there in the streets. You may not. And so that is also because... Now, you may not know this, but jihadism has a principle called hijra. Hijra. In Hebrew, hagira. What's hijra? It means that one of the principles of jihadism is emigration. You're supposed to emigrate to places and take them over from within. That's one of the pillars of jihadism. It's a stated and and noted pillar. And And so that is what they've managed to do. And they've managed to bully and subdue others who have a different opinion. So these are some of the reasons why. And how come the like
2: pro-Israel movement is kind of taking association with the right
0: wing? Right wing. Yeah. Because because the left wing has rejected them. That's the only reason. The left used to I'm appreciate. The left used to embrace Israel. Today, less so. And so, therefore, the people who are pro-Israel have moved to the right. There also, there's other tendencies. These are uh, uh, these are these are big tendencies, Ariel. These are big tendencies of it's white. It's a, it's a, we're talking about generalizations. We're not talking about particulars. Generalizations are useful sometimes. Right now, today, in the world, religion and right wing have merged. Used to be that they were very separated. Today, religious and political right wing have merged and left anti-religious have merged. It's a broader sociological question. My question
2: is like this is just a opinion question, but do you think if like Hamas hadn't taken
0: hostages that Israel would have already gotten rid of Gaza by now? I think we would have done more, that's for sure. I don't, what's get rid of Gaza? You can't get rid of Gaza. You can get rid of the Hamas. Gaza, by the way, by the way you know what I'm angry at, at the Hamas for in general, the jihad? I'm going to say three names for you. Gaza, Hebron, Lebanon. These words have become to mean ugly things. You say Gaza, it's like icky. I'll get to. You say Hebron, it's like scary. You say Lebanon, you're like, it's it's hell. Lebanon, the word Lebanon in, in Hebrew used to mean beauty. He, Lebanon means that's the name of the Temple Mount, the cedars of the Lebanon. You're as beautiful as the Lebanon. It's like a it, it was considered one of the most beautiful places in the world because you know you had these snow capped mountains and, and sunny beaches and these giant giant cedar trees. But they've taken Lebanon, they turned it into hell. Hebron. The word itself means chaver. Hebron comes from friendship. In Arabic, they say Ibrahim Khalil Allah, that Abraham is the friend of Allah. And they call Hebron Khalil, friendship. And yet they've turned it into this mess. Gaza, most beautiful beaches in the Middle East. Some of the best beaches in the Middle East are Gaza. That's right. Gaza is a beautiful word, and yet it's come to mean like something bad. That really take one second. and that really that that really bothers me. And so I hope that we get to a day where those names become beautiful again.
2: You said that like the Palestinians don't deserve a right to a state because
1: they've never had one before.
0: I said that they do not, in my opinion, Sorry,
1: they don't have a, don't right, have to have a right to okay.
0: self-determination. A claim They don't have a claim to self-determination. So,
1: like, why did uh, we have a right to it before we ever had
0: one? Because, good question, and I'll answer that. Because of five reasons, okay? What's your first name again? Kaya. Kaya, K-ky. Kaya the answer is like this. There are five reasons why Jews have a right to the land of Israel. One, we had two states here previously. We had a state here 3,000 years ago. That's called the First Temple Period under King David. We had a Second Temple Period state. If you want to read any historical documents from the Persian... One, one second, one second, one second. You asked the question, let me answer From the Persians to the Romans... They'll write to you, there was a state called, in, in, in Persian language, this area was called Yehud Medinte. There are coins like that, which means Medinat Hayehudim, the Jewish state, or as, as Herzl called it, Der Yudinstaat. Okay, It's an ancient, ancient term. Okay, We had two states here beforehand. Then when Zionism came back, so that's reason number one. The archaeology, the coinage, the history proves that. Second thing is that we purchased a lot of land. We reached out to Arabs in the beginning of Zionism and purchased a ton of land because we were like, we want to make a Jewish state here. Can we buy it from you? They're like, sure. Give us a lot of money and you can have it. And we bought tons of land from them. Three is that in in our various wars, they attacked us and we pushed them back. A principle of international law is when they attack you, when people attack you and you push them back in a defensive war and gain land, that land is yours. So, Historical rights, indigenous rights, purchase rights, war rights. Number five, excuse me, number four. Number four is that the international community recognized our rights to this land in the 1917 Balfour Declaration, 1920 San Remo Declaration, 1922 Mandate for Palestine by the League of Nations. Palestine was meant to be a Jewish state. Okay, read the Mandate for Palestine. It's on Wikipedia. Mandate for Palestine, the world recognized, all 56 countries in the League of Nations recognized Jewish rights and Jewish history in this land. So that's four. Number five is that since we got here, we beautified this land, instead of crapping it out, we've made it beautiful, and that's a source of rights in some places. And number six, if you believe it or not, we have divine rights. You could agree to it, you could disagree. But according to the Jewish tradition, our peoplehood knows that God gave us this land. Those are six reasons why Jewish people have a right. The Palestinians don't have not one of those. Not one. Well, the they didn't buy the land. They didn't fight for it victoriously. They did not, they did not, no, no international serious legal document has ever been made except for UNPS. Okay, so the bottom line is they do not have those rights. But
1: the thing is is that modern Israeli borders are not Biblical Israeli borders.
0: I gave you five other reasons other than I'm the Bible.
1: Not, I not finished. Um, they're not biblical Israeli borders, and some of
0: the land that isn't managed or what were belonged to Arab nations before. So technically, you
2: could argue that. What was
0: belonging to Arab nations?
2: Like a lot, like a good part of the south. The Negev. Not the Negev, but yeah, like the south.
1: Like it, it's not. Which pretty, country did it belong to? I don't know exactly. You could pull up the map. I but,
0: can't pull up the map, but it will not answer your question because they never belonged to any other country. Maybe in, maybe in biblical times there was a time where Egypt administered, the ancient Egyptians administered the no, Sabbath. There Israel. were like,
1: there were Arab Phoenicians? Nation, there, there were, were Arab, Arab nations. nations
0: the Arabs came over the year six, 630 approximately. That's yeah, it. There were Arab nations surrounding Israel during biblical times. They were not Arabs. They were Midianites, they were Moabites, there were Phoenicians. <laughs> there were a million things. They weren't Arabs. The Arabs were from Arabia. They only came to Israel, this land, in, in around 6, 630.
2: Okay, but also most mandates that you mentioned mandated a Jewish
0: state in Judea as well as an Arab state? No. Or an Arab what happened was is that later on when the British started sucking up to the Arabs because they had oil, then they started pushing the UN to create all kinds of uh, uh, non-binding ideas that they should divide this land in a Palestinian state. The original division, the big division, was Jordan and Israel. Jordan is the real Palestinian state. If Palestinian, And it was originally Jewish land. If, if Palestinians want a state, they have one right next door. Well, the
3: British
2: And they
0: should throw off their fake king over there.
3: The British mandate mandated an area for Jews and parents.
0: No. Incorrect. Incorrect. That's just just not correct. The... The... uh, The... um, and and, and 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 really, I I can understand what you're saying. But I, have to, I with love, I say this too. I just it's just because you're very smart. I can see it. I'm just older than you. That's all. So I've gone through this a few more times. That's the only reason. No, I say this in a loving way. I'm just saying. I just know it a tad better. Yeah. you will know it better. You'll know it as good as me. It didn't belong to me. the British. Held onto this land in order to create a Jewish state.
1: the land wasn't owned by Arabs Jews
0: the British, the British kicked out the Turks. They were supposed to set up in this whole land, including Jordan, a Jewish state. Then they started reneging on that because of their oil needs. All right, listen, there's a lot of, a lot of technical stuff. Bottom line is, I laid out to you six sources of Jewish rights, and there's zero of those are Palestinian. Okay, we'll talk about it more. Okay. I want to know if you think that.
1: Um, Sort of like the sheer scale of what Hamas was able to do on October 7th is somehow think like some parts, due to a failure in the IDF or something of defending against Gaza.
0: Whether October 7th was in some way a failure of the Israeli army.
1: Duh, okay? Yeah, but... Hello? Is there like a, like they a- really, really, really screwed up.
0: Really badly. And the reason they screwed up badly is because of of very bad conceptions, very bad concepts about how they perceive the Arab world. The girls your age were looking at the screens being like, I think they're practicing to destroy us, to kill us, to break through this wall and to kill all of us. And they're like, hey, commanders, I think we see something. And They're like, no, everything's fine. They want peace. They have on video the, the head of army intelligence being like, we think Hamas actually wants to just be in governance and has you know, no point, no interest in resistance anymore. They're just trying to solidify. They're building these tunnels, arming themselves to the teeth, right before our eyes, practicing to kill us. I mean, really, it's pathetic. How can they're, they not know? Because be, they did know. Because even in intelligence, and it's well-known, it's almost a copy of what happened in 1973, the Yom Kippur War. When you have a concept, you read everything into that prism. Into the way you've already conceived of it is how you see it. So people like myself are like, no, they're really bad guys, they want to kill us, we got to really arm ourselves and protect and never let them have our land, and it's really bad. But you're like, no, 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 there's peace in this time. Hamas wants to be like a serious suit and tie player, they don't want to make war. And we should keep going with the two-state solution. That way we'll be normal. We're like, no, we're not going to be normal. They're going to arm themselves. They're going to kill us. We can't do that. So their conception caused them to take a lackadaisical approach. And all of their... Mecha- One second. And all of their... And you already had a question. are technical... They also believe that cameras and walls and, and, and satellites and flyover stuff will defeat, uh, will defeat uh, ingenuity of the Arabs. And they had a very low opinion of Hamas. They think that they're a bunch of towel heads, a bunch of dummies. Okay, and yeah, that's all kinds of stupid things like that. And people like me say no. Don't think of our competitors as dummies. They're smart, and they're and they're dedicated, and you can't buy them off. And they mean what they say. And so they they took it too lightly, and they got smashed. And and they and and and, and, our, and our they breached the walls in thirty places. They 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 killed and mut- mutilated. They had a whole. A, uh, 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 like sexual abuse thing in order to demoralize us. It's already written up in papers what what they were doing on purpose in order to to, to break our spirit. They had a, their number one goal was to just one second. Their number one goal was to take hostages so that we wouldn't be able to fight an all out war because they know the Jewish sentiment. You know we're not the kind of country that's like you know we've got hostages screw them we got you know like. You know, so R- Russia would be like, whatever, we just got to bomb them anyway. Well, we couldn't, do, we can't do that. And so they've slowed down the war. They've already managed to slow down the war. And they were very cunning. And when you deal with the Iranians who are behind this thing, they're super cunning. They're super cunning. On the other hand, on the other hand, we had unbelievable gvura, unbelievable heroism, unbelievable self-sacrifice, unbelievable miracles. Unbelievable kindness that the Jewish people have shown one another, right, you and and, you, shh, and unity that, that that has come about. So there's also been very beautiful things. But was it a failure? Nobody will deny that it was. A, it was a, 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 a catastrophic failure, and and, and heads are going to roll, and a lot of people. And we're going to feel the pain of this thing for the rest of our lives. This this thing is with us. city uh, earlier, and how the mosques.
2: Like, you kind know, of the senator on Hamas ideology. Um, if we're like thinking about Hamas as more of an ideology rather than a terrorist organization, what is the end goal for what's going on right now in Gaza? Because Israel is saying, hey, what well, we're doing in Gaza and all the tragedy surrounding that is only to fight like the Hamas leaders or who else have Hamas, how is that possible if it's not more of an ideology which spreads and has been spreading? If it's not going to be in Gaza, then it appears it will be in the West Bank, not the West Bank, building, like somewhere else. Like, what's the end goal here, where so many
0: people are not? What's your first name again? Dan. Yeah. Dan. Dan, I think that's a great question. And it's one that I grapple with myself a lot, uh, because uh, I, I'm, I find myself at odds with my, with my beloved Jewish state and uh, and our government. Uh, we find ourselves at odds. I think that what you said is 100% correct. And I think that Hamas is only one manifestation of a much broader issue, which is what you said, ideology that's called jihadism. And so if, it was up, if, if it's up to Netanyahu at this time, then what is he saying? He says, he says okay, you know, we just got to get rid of this organization that did this thing. Then when you ask him, you know, but are we going to rule Gaza? So he's like, well, our military will be here. And he kind of, its he, not clear if it'll be an international force or, or, God forbid, the PA and all kinds of stupid ideas again. And people on my side of the aisle say, we should govern it and we should settle it and we should incorporate it into Israel and make sure that a Hamas ideology doesn't grow there again. And in general, your question is even righter in the sense that People like me think that we should fight jihadism, not Hamas. Jihadism is the stuff that's taught in schools. It's in the school books. I've seen them myself. I've held them in my hands. I picked up school books from garbage cans in Hebron and read through them and, and with Google Lens. And it's full of, full of jihadism and anti-Israelism. It's in the mosques. You don't have to be a big Arabic speaker to hear what they're saying on the mosques. It's, it's, um, it's in the radio and TV stations. It's on, it's on, it's on, uh, it's on TikTok. We have, in my opinion, we should have zero tolerance for jihadism in our land. Zero tolerance for jihadism in our land. We should have no, no-go zones in Israel and certainly in Jerusalem. Do you know that two, three kilometers from here, there's a no-go zone that you cannot walk in? It's called Isawiyah. It's right over here. It's not so far away. You, you, you know that, You know that we have that in our land? You know that in the Israeli Arab cities... There's at least, the, as police estimates, estimates, 400,000 illegal weapons that can be turned on us at any time. And so people like myself believe that we should fight jihadism. We should have zero tolerance for jihadism in our land. By the way, just so you know, jihadism is illegal in Egypt, illegal in Saudi Arabia, illegal in the UAE. But how do they deal with it in Saudi Arabia? About six months ago, you can look up in the New York Times, the crown prince MBS Mohammed bin Salman uh, rounded up 83 former ISIS people who were threatening the regime and literally on one Friday cut their heads off in the square like this. He didn't do it. He had a henchman do it. Just There's videos of it. It's quite gruesome. But the point is, is that they got rid of 83 jihadis on one Friday just by cutting their heads off in public to send a signal We have zero tolerance for anybody who wants to undermine our regime. Do you know why he did that? Because that's the way things work around here in the Middle East. If you want to fight the jihadism, it can't be just like limited war against this one little organization. It's a much broader thing. And I'll say this to you, Daniel. I'll say this to you like this. If we don't fight the bad guys now, and I say this to my Israeli uh, uh, friends, colleagues, if we don't fight the bad guys now, our children will have to do it. We're going, and, and the way it's going right now is that we are totally cool with leaving it to our children to fight an even worse battle. In, in Lebanon, 150,000 accurate rockets are rained against us. In Judea and Samaria, just like Gaza, same type of thing. In these mixed Israeli-Arab cities, in Ramlet, Lod, Yafo, Akko. In the Negev, the takeover of the Bedouins. In the north, and yet... Yeah, you know, people don't like to hear it, and that's a big reason why we don't deal with it because nobody wants to hear about it. But that's the real truth, and if we don't clean house, we're going to face this again and again and again.
2: I wanted to ask why, um, like, in your opinion, why the United Nations are so like anti-Israel? Like, I know oh, yeah. the like the chief, UN chief had like a bit of anti-Semitic background, but like, why is it exactly that before like?
0: Almost two months, like barely spoke up about anything. The UN, let's make a definition. The UN is an anti-Semitic organization. Period. Okay. The U. Shnia, shnia. The UN is an anti-Semitic organization and has been. You could see it numerically. You could just see it numerically. They, they, they do. They have. They have departments of anti-Israelism. They have just Palestinian refugees, or refugees all over the world. They have a a department just for Palestinian refugees. They they take their time just to single out Israel. They single out Israel much more than other countries. And and I'm going to answer you like this. The answer to your question is, it's not really important. Why? Ask a sociologist. I'll, I'll give you a different answer. It's a fact that it is. What you said is a fact. And the answer is that, in my opinion, Israel should have left the UN a long time ago. The Taiwanese are not in the UN. There's no day not in the UN. Okay, so you you can't survive in this world without being a member of that of that anti-Semitic organization. If you really, really want to reach me, C Shy Fleischer, Gmail, it's really easy. I want to thank you. I'm sure that not all of you agreed with me, and that's great. At least we had a conversation. And you heard from a real settler, a real right-wing guy, about how we see things. That's useful. Number three, and lastly. Uh, I'm Israel Chai, and I urge you to uh, consider moving to the land of Israel, but definitely marry Jewish, okay? Thank you very much. All right, Malka Fleischer, thank you so much for joining me. And I want to finish off the show with one thing, Malka. I want to do a Torah thought, if I may. Um, I do this Torah thought almost every single year because I think it's very, very, very deep and true. You know, one of the biggest questions right now is the story of uh, uh, Shimon and Levi, that destroy the town of Shechem Shechem because they raped their sister Dina there's been posts that's in this week's because parsha Shechem, did. Shechem raped the uh, their sister Dina and held her captive they liberated her and destroyed the town uh in in event in, in, in uh, by an event avenging through that uh, what they what uh, Shechem did to their sister um and it's famous that Yaakov kind of chides them and he's like what have you done you know now everybody's gonna hate us and they say what are they you know should they turn our sister into a harlot and that's it that's the end and you never know who's really right between the two and and not only that a lot of right-wing folks say what's wrong with Yaakov didn't he see that they deserve death this town uh, Shechem, the family of Shechem and the town of Shechem Didn't they deserve the what they got? And what? Why is he afraid of everybody? Like, is he an exiled Jew? Is he a fearful Jew? And um, and people are just like, you know, people don't understand Yaakov's motivations, and yet later on he 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 he's, he chides Shimon and Levi again. So, a friend of mine. Oh, and and there's been a lot of posts right now, which they're like. They have they have raped Dina in our time. Where's Shimon and Levy? Mm. I've seen those posts out there. obviously referring to the October seventh massacre. I want to tell you what what a good friend of mine, Natan Katlarov, said to me, and there was just a, been a rocket yeah, attack just,
1: uh, as we're as we're recording it's it's a um, aircraft intrusion in the north, three
0: all right. So, we'll see,
1: by the time you're listening to this, who knows what situation we'll be in. That's right, so
0: I'm just finishing up, Malka, listen to this, you're gonna like this, Malka. Natan Katlarov once told me in Beit El, he's like, he's a Russian guy, and he says to me, you know, I have idea why Yaakov does not like. And here was his theory. He said, what Yaakov was really upset about is that the brothers lured Shechem, into getting circumcised in order to marry in to the people of Israel. And he said, We can't, you know, we, we we can't have you be not circumcised. We'll let you marry your sister. We'll we'll get we'll we'll marry one another. You guys could share our wealth, but you have to be circumcised. And then on the third day after the circumcision came the two brothers, Shimon and Levi, and they destroyed that town. But says Nathan Katlarov, what does he say? He said What Yaakov was really upset about was that they used holiness as a trick. You can't use God's good name and tell people, oh, come come to our shul, come closer to to, to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism, come come closer to us, and then strike them through that. You want to make a trick at them? Fine. You want to make all that war with them? Fine. But don't don't use God's offices for those tricks. God's, God's name is a good name. You come closer to God, that, that, that's serious. And you, can't, you cannot um, uh, desecrate God's image in this world. Our whole thing as Jews is that we're here to make God's name great. And, and that was not making God's name great. I thought that was a very interesting answer, very very provocative in my mind. Like, wow, that really made me think. And yet another uh, a warning right now, Malachi. Eh? Yeah,
1: that's right. Another rocket attack warning.
0: Another uh, we'll infiltration, air air infiltration warning, or a rocket attack warning. So, what do I learn from this, Malka? I learned that you got to kill the bad guys. You got to kill the bad guys, but you also have to sanctify God's good name, and that's what we got to do right now. We got to bring more Yiddishkeit. We got to light those Hanukkah candles, and we got to kill the bad guys to get rid of them. We got to be the Maccabee. That's my that's my uh, that's my line for 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 Hanukkah. And what I'm asking everybody that's listening to this show is to make a poster that says, Be the Maccabee. I want to see a picture of it. I want to see Be the Maccabee, hashtag Be the Maccabee. I want an email from you to YishaiYishaiFlasher.com that says, Be the Maccabee. I want to see a picture of you and your house and your kids and your dog or whatever it is in your pickup truck or wherever you are. I want to see or with your guns, whatever it is, I want to see Be the Maccabee. That's what we need right now. And I want really everybody to think uh, a Jew or Gentile I want everybody to get ready to light Hanukkah candles this year. Everybody's got to light Hanukkah candles. Everybody. Everybody's got to light those candles. You got to make that light. You got to shine that light right now. You gotta, right. That, you
1: know, Ishay, what you're asking actually is not so simple for everybody. You know that? Like we grew up in a generation where that is a piece of obviousness, right? You light your, your Hanukkah menorah and you put it in your window. That's Everybody does that. Who doesn't do that? This year, Ishai, I've been talking to a lot of people who live out in the diaspora and they're a little worried. They're a little bit worried about showing their Jewishness. And we're talking about places where it's been normal to be Jewish for a very, very long time. People are nervous about about putting their Han- Hanukkah on the window. What do you I think got, of that?
0: I got two words for you guys: loud and proud. That's what I gotta say. That's it. You beat. Don't don't go. If if you're nervous about it, go bigger. Go loud and proud on it. And that's the way to do right. it. Go loud and proud and big it big. Get a bigger menorah this year, Harukiah. Put it bigger. and Get other people to do it all around you. Get strength from being together and just be loud and proud out there. There's Sometimes there's these videos of these Jewish guys in the middle of a pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas rally. And the video is like, I'm the one Jew. All of you guys are bleep, bleep. They're always cursing. You, you people around me right here, you're all a bunch of beep, beep, bleep, bleep, and bleep. And I'm one Jew. I stand up to all of you. I've seen a few of these oh, wow, videos, really? and every time I'm just like, wow. Like Mamashe, yeah, Mamashe, uh, 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 a lamb walking into a, a den of wolves and just being like, I'm not afraid of you. God is with me. I have truth. There's been a few of these. Wow. They're very chazak, and that's the Jewish people. That's how Israel. So all I have to say is be loud and proud, and you will see that your neighbor will come over and say thank you, and that and that the police officer will come over and say thank you, and 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 that fellow Jews will say thank you, it's, and and fellow lovers of Israel will say thank you. Right now, this this next week, the Hanukkah candles are more important than the flag of Israel. Like both of those are important. Put them together. But right now, it's time to light those Hanukkah candles. I want
1: to I want to say an additional thing. It may sound like nothing, but I want to say an additional thing. If you're a non-Jew out there, I challenge you to f- to see somebody's menorah out in the window and contact and like either contact them, your neighbor, somebody that you know and be like I just want you to know I loved your Hanukkah menorah in your window. Like show them support and you're if you're living in a if you're Jewish, you're living in a Jewish neighborhood, like give a compliment. Like I saw your menorah, it's beautiful. Something like that. Like everybody, it's time to give each other strength and support. And solidarity.
0: Malka, I want to thank you so much for giving me the time today and giving me the spirit. Well, uh, thank you for
1: having me on and allowing you, me to talk to all of our friends out there.
0: You are the Maccabee, Malka, and I want to congratulate you uh, uh, for, for also... I got a little
1: more Maccabean yesterday.
0: That's right. You went f- to to get your... your After, after 20 years yep. in Israel to get your gun license and yep. to and procure a weapon and you you haven't received it yet. We'll talk more about it but when I you receive it. on it. You practiced on it and it was a beautiful... Uh, American Springfield, uh, Springfield Armory Hellcat, Hellcat, Hellcat. And, and which s- is
1: not a mitzvah name, but I I can live with it.
0: Gehenom Chatul, yeah, Chetul I, know. yeah. it's Malka, I wanna- We'll
1: call it like Ari Ar- Huda instead of. Like oh, I like Hellcat.
0: that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk more about it, Maka. That's our like, cat is Aryeh. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Aryeh Gehenom. That's not okay. Arya Gehenom.
1: <laughs> I don't want. I don't think I need a Gehenom. Thing with that's me. right.
0: So uh, so it's, so it's are yeah ish? That's what it's referring to. The 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 head, uh, it's really the fire. Cat. Yeah, F- yeah, fire lion. That's what you're looking at. That's right, uh, folks. I want to thank you so much. I also want to thank the people that make this show possible: Moshe Herman, Tabitha, Yocheved, Ben Bresky, and Lewin. were live. Make this show happen. I want to thank them so much. I want to thank all of you out there. Go to isha at dot com. Support our efforts, uh, including. Fightforisrael.org. That's all of the stuff that we're doing for the communities right now to keep them strong. So fightforisrael.org, ishaifleisher.com, me at coffee.com forward slash yishai A million ways to connect and just write us an email. Be the Maccabee Be strong. God bless you wherever the, uh, you are. And remember, Hashem needs our spirit right now. am Israel needs our spirit right now. There's a million things to be down about, but we need to be up and strong. And and every attack, everything that they hurt us with, we're gonna become only stronger. God bless you folks. Wherever you are, stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected. Lots of love and shalom. Shalom. Shabbat shalom.